2: And welcome back to the House of Bond. special halloween episode that creepy music you heard was some of the early goth recordings of my band the resurrection men i am cave hoda i am the host of this humor adjacent little medical podcast called the house of pod and today we're doing our halloween episode because it's that spooky time of year here at house of pod and in case you didn't know, doctors uh, are giant nerds and uh, tend to like things like pop culture and, and horror films, just like other nerds do. And the horror genre can be a big part of our, our lives and upbringing. And, and we're going to talk about some of those things. And to join me to do that, we have some really fun, special guests that uh, I bring together uh, one time a year for for this purpose and uh, this exact a grouping of people can only be brought together one time in the year and that is halloween let's start first with cody he is a nephrology fellow um and that means kidneys for you guys who don't know and he is a huge john carpenter fan very <laughs> wise about things about the the creepy parts of pop culture that i don't understand he explains a lot of stuff to me so he's a no-brainer for this episode cody welcome back to the house of pod pleasure to be here i want to make sure we plug your podcast. Can you tell us about it and where to find it?
3: Yes, yes. Uh, so I started a podcast probably a year ago. We have four whole episodes out now. It's called Caduceus Wild. Uh, it's uh, me and a, a pathology resident uh, that uh, we just go through old, fascinating case reports that uh, um, are, are otherwise not really talked about or otherwise have been forgotten in the annals of uh, medical history uh to to just uh find those old things that uh the way kind of medicine used to be and uh we we just talk about it it's fun i,
2: I love that you do it quarterly because you're like fuck the listeners they're gonna get one episode a quarter and that's it if if that much we'll give them four a year and it's like but they're like Tarantino movies they're great each one comes out and it's like a special thing. I really I took a listen. I think it's a really great
3: podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you. We've got uh, two episodes uh, in, the, in the bag that I, uh, I have to edit at some point. And I, I'm a little excited about these because we got some special guest stars uh, that uh, listeners of your podcast may, uh, may or may not know about. So stay okay. tuned. Uh, new episodes of Caduceus Wild coming out anytime between now and 2024.
2: Fantastic. And joining us also, we have adolescent uh, and uh, adolescent psychiatrist, I'm sorry, and suicidologist, Dr. Tyler Black. Tyler, how are you, buddy?
1: I am doing very well. Always a pleasure to be here.
2: The listeners can't see this, but you are doing this from what initially the background I thought was like a a filter. I didn't think it was a real background (laughs) because it's this amazing room that Tyler's in with crazy like anime memorabilia all around it. It is incredible, um, but it's real. So that is a it's very, real. very impressive uh, guy cave. Uh, I don't know what you call it.
1: It's it's part guy cave, part child cave. It's child and adolescent psychiatry's coolest part, which is you can always buy toys and they're always fun.
2: And it's tax deductible, I assume.
1: Somewhat. It, it's for the kids.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 sure, sure, I got you. And rounding out this A-team uh of uh horror film and horror i guess genre enthusiasts. dr ryan marino toxicologist er doctor uh fan favorite here at the house of pod doctor can i call you ryan
4: yeah you you (laughs) can just call me a horror can i I? (laughs) what if i did that for the rest of the episode (laughs) (laughs) i assumed that was why i was here bringing some wild
2: energy to the show today how you doing bud i'm good i'm glad to be back Yeah, man. It's great to have you. Okay. Oh, yeah. Before we go on, though, uh, this episode is brought to you by Lucky Dog Hot Sauce. So I don't know if you guys know this. People who follow me online, I'm sure probably know this already. My friends obviously know this, too, that I love hot sauce. And I have been looking for a long time to find a hot sauce company to partner with. I've had a hard time finding a place where I really like the hot sauce, and actually like the flavors of it, and the people seem to be like cool. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but and you probably haven't because you haven't looked into it the way I have. But like, there's a weird sort of uh, QAnon-y right-wing sort of vibe to a lot of hot wing and, and barbecue sauce uh, companies. I don't know why that is, but um, that's kind of the experience I've had so far. So I was really stoked when I found out that um, this hot sauce that I really like called Lucky Dog Hot Sauce uh, was locally run by socially responsible people. They were gracious enough to uh, offer, to, to provide all my guests today with, with some hot sauce to go
1: home with. Wow. Tyler,
2: you're in you're in Canada, so who knows how long <laughs> it's going to take to get there. I don't know what's going to happen.
1: It's hot sauce that keeps, I'm happy.
2: Anyways, if you have uh, some sort of food thing you want to share with me and my guests, find me at Twitter. We'll get get to that. Okay. So let's get to let's get to the the topics here. Okay. There was one topic I wanted to cover last Halloween episode. We didn't get to, and I want to cover it because I think it's an important one. And it's werewolves versus vampires. Okay. Before we talk about who would win, I want to hear because I feel like it's obvious and I feel like it should be more obvious, but maybe it's not. Who is cooler? Who, who do you guys think is cooler
3: werewolves or vampires uh the coolest factor definitely has to go to werewolves yes like, it, it it is because werewolves are you know they're they're the underdogs they're they're literally dogs for one <laughs> but they're right. the underdogs <laughs> and you know they they are persecuted by the vampire elites who mm-hmm. are all this like Long lives, uh, mm-hmm. classic nobility, right. blood-sucking freaks. Uh, yeah. They're they they are not cool. The werewolves yeah. are the cool. You want to side with the werewolves?
2: Absolutely agree. I. It's like the vampires are always this sort of aristocracy with the exception of the movie, Near Dawn, which is a great vampire film. But the exception of that, they're usually like these sort of emo goth, at best they're like, oh, I'm so disconnected from my humanity, oh, I'm tortured by it. Whereas like the werewolves are like the superhuman in a way because they're like, they're not only human beings most of the time, you know, they're they're like, they're they have that animal instinct that all man has and that's sort of the interesting thing about it—how they battle it, how they deal with it, how they how they try to control it. So, yeah, for me, it's a no-brainer. But, but Tyler, I I saw you shaking your head. What what does this mean?
1: I mean, there's a there's a '70s sort of hairiness vibe to Werewolves, but I would say the cool probably goes with the old school slicked hair, you know, sly talking, seductive vampire. I think they've got to be cooler. <laughs> um, they they do have a um, uh, they have a more mysterious entrance. Uh, they're not reliant on the moon. Um, I think they're. I think they're a little bit cooler.
3: But they may not be reliant on the moon, but they certainly don't get along with the sun. Mm-hmm.
1: That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. They do need night. Both well need said. night well yeah, said
3: werewolves can be
2: out in day and night i never like watched
1: i never watched twilight but i remember there's a thing of edward versus jacob or something like that was that a werewolf versus a vampire yeah
2: we don't talk about yeah that here.
4: okay you don't <laughs> want to watch twilight i don't But <laughs> uh, ryan
2: where do you stand on this issue
4: i don't know i mean i think vampires have some cool factors and like the lost boys being a good example of a movie with mm-hmm. cool vampires but uh yeah they i have kind of oversaturated popular culture and now they're sparkly and i mean i don't i don't need to escape to like hollywood movies to see some out of touch elitists sucking the blood out of other people
2: (laughs) (laughs) boy it did not take us long to go there (laughs) um you know the thing that always got me about these vampire movies is that they always Part of the allure is that they're supposed to be really good at like making love and that they're very seductive, but because I guess they've been around for a long time and making love for a long time, but I I don't buy that. Like, I feel like if you've been around for that long, you're probably pretty bored by sex at that point. And at that point, it's probably pretty boring and you're probably not a very, like, you're probably not great. I mean, I feel like in the love making skill set, there is some sort of peak, like you're really bad at first. You get better, you get some skill and you still have the enthusiasm and you go up and up and that's like your peak. And then you you have more and more you know experience and skill, but you get lazier with it and lazier with it. And then you're married and you have like sex once or twice a week and it's on the side <laughs> sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like vampires would necessarily be better lovers because they've been around forever. You know, I feel like that should go to werewolves, right? More animalistic, if anything.
1: There, there you go. <laughs> I... Don't, I, I, I do don't spend as much time thought. thinking about the a, <laughs> about sex, sex with vampires or werewolves.
3: But, I feel um, like vampires would be more intentional in their decisions, and werewolves just need a uh, a scent to prompt them, and then they just mm-hmm.
4: take it from there.
2: Yeah, but yeah, that seems a little bit more you know relatable. I feel.
4: <laughs> yeah, I think it. I feel like it's relatable, the fact that the werewolves can't really control it. I mean, wherever they are, what whatever they're wearing, if the clouds uncover a full moon. I mean, their clothes are off and they're sniffing, sniffing butts and eating poop or whatever. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Hopefully not off the streets of San Francisco, Ryan. We know what happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so favorite
3: vampire film, favorite werewolf film? Hmm. I You're would not- say, oh, so go ahead. I, I don't know that there's actually been a good werewolf film like I like the I like the concept of a werewolf, but I don't know that that there's one that I could point to to say, yes, this does what I want the movie to do. Now, the two that immediately come to mind are going to be an American werewolf in London yeah. and um, the the howling. Uh, uh-huh. Both released around the same time. One, uh, the former by John Landis, the latter directed by Joe Dante, and those are like of Gremlins. Those, those are those are the classic kind of werewolves that uh, movies from the eighties and onward. But I watched an American Werewolf in London, and it's just it's kind of an unpleasant film. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it, it's it the the ending is very very gory and very yeah. abrupt and it just leaves me wondering like uh, what what did we learn here what did, what did we what did we take from this yeah. that you see yeah. a guy's head come off in the middle of traffic which is cool i guess but it as a movie it, it's not really satisfying to me so and then and there's the same with the howling I, I i don't think it's one of joe dante's better films uh it has enjoyable moments of, of course but it just i i feel like there is still a great werewolf movie ready and waiting to be made that has not been mm-hmm. made yet
2: so like you you, you didn't wolf. like you know, <laughs> I, I was gonna say howling Two. your sister is a werewolf <laughs> which is the actual title of howling Two. <laughs> yeah never saw vote, it
1: my yeah. vote would be teen wolf i it's i mean i was teen happy. wolf is good yeah I liked it, and then my vampire movie would be Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the um, movie. Just yeah, the movie. I mean, okay. the TV series. A lot of people got into. I never got into the TV series, but I really did in, enjoy the campiness of the movie. Um, I like it better when when horror movies are more campy, like Evil Dead style. Yeah. Um, so, I like when camp is paired with horror quite a bit.
3: I I will say that my all-time favorite vampire movie. You you have to kind of go with the original vampire character and that is uh francis ford coppola's dracula yeah that movie is just balls to the walls insane and it does everything it can to just make you feel like uncomfortable but in a yes. good way yes it, the, like the the gary oldman's dracula is creepy and so then, fun and creepy so fun and creepy and then later when he comes to London after he's feasted incredibly sexy Mm -hmm. and it
1: actually makes sense why Keanu Reeves is so stoic and wooden because he's (laughs) entranced
3: by a vampire yes so So the the and the Francis Ford Coppola uh, Dracula is also probably the closest uh that the story has has adhered to the actual events of the of the novel which I'm not somebody who is like, Oh, the book is always better. Or if they didn't adapt a certain scene from the book, then it's not a good movie. I'm not, I'm not like that. I I do like directors take a chance to really change the story, but there's so much in the Dracula novel that is, that is so much fun that a lot of the adaptations have left out and Coppola put them all in and they are just fantastic it's a great movie a A lot of people hate it and they're wrong they're wrong they're absolutely wrong
2: i'll tell you and i also agree with you about american werewolf because i i love american werewolf in paris for certain aspects of it like the transformation the the special effects are like legendary you know the that scene where he becomes a werewolf is like the most intense visceral change disgusting to like i hear the bones crunching in my head just thinking about it but it's, it's wholly unpleasant. That might be because John Landis was a, a super unpleasant dude who ended up <laughs> causing the deaths of two small kids in like Vietnam with his horrible filmmaking. It's a whole different story. But like it, the, that movie does not, I, I just, I can't watch. It's hard to watch and enjoy it. But you're right. There's something so much fun about it, about this, uh, about uh, Coppola's version. And you bring up Dr. Van Helsing. So I think I'm going to use it as a segue to talk about discuss here, which is doctors in horror movies. Because
4: yeah, before we for, go to that, yeah, one one thing about the Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula is, has anyone noticed that the people who were all in it have like barely aged? <laughs> oh, fuck you. Right. I mean, that movie is what 30 years old. Yeah,
2: yep. yeah, 92. Yeah. Holy shit. You're right. I mean, you know, Anthony Hopkins looks the exact same. He looked that old. He looks like still 80. He looked like 80 then. He's still 80. I don't know how he does it, but it's amazing. The topic of doctors in horror movies is interesting to me because I actually did not realize how ubiquitous it was until we discussed potential topics for this episode. And then I just did a quick Google search of doctors in horror films and it's it's huge if you google it there's hundreds and hundreds of horror films and and then you'll be like films that you watched and never really put together but you're like oh yeah that character was a doctor that that villain was a doctor or this important character was a doctor there they tended to be when i looked at the numbers the the majority of doctors and horror films were villains and then there was another percentage that was not necessarily villains but they, they, were, they were important, like pivotal scenes in the movie that led to something bad happening to a patient. Like they get hospitalized in a place where they get killed or something happens to them because of a doctor. And then there's a small percentage of them that are like the hero, like Dr. Van Helsing in Dracula and uh, Sam Loomis in the Halloween movies. But there's something really interesting to me about the fact that doctors is such a part of horror
3: lore. Like, why do you guys think that is? I'll take a shot at this. I think what makes horror so effective in a lot of ways is finding the strangeness in the familiar. And when you have a character like a doctor, a doctor is supposed to be somebody that you trust. It's supposed to be somebody who has your well-being as their top priority. And when you see that subverted, as is often done in a horror movie that chills you to the bone. But I also think if you take that conceit, it only works when there is this widespread uh, appreciation or respect for doctors. And it's less effective if people don't actually trust doctors. It's less effective if people see the doctors as just part of the uh you know the the problem to begin with which you can write your stories that way but the most bone chilling doctors in medicine or doctors in horror movies are the ones that you're supposed to trust who ultimately betray you
2: right right i mean that's that's that was part of my question though is you know uh, it is are they scary because we're scared of doctors to begin with or are we scared are they scary because they're not supposed to be and when you twist it it becomes that much more disturbing but you bring up a good point it's kind of both I mean people used to say that like um when it came out that it people would say oh well, it's so scary because it's a clown and clowns are supposed to be like you know loving like fun and and I was always like are they? I've always been scared of them. I mean, they've always been just kind of inherently creepy. So it made sense to me, you know? And I didn't know if it was the same sort of thing here or not. T- Tyler, what do you think?
1: Well, I think also the, the surgical sort of skill in cutting stereotype comes into it because a lot of like the slashery type of stuff with doctors and scalpels and skill really it it's kind of it's kind of weird because it's not hard to use a knife. Like it's not like it's a skill you need to to kill people. But just this idea that you have this amazing precision. And then it 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 kind of segues into this idea that typically villains are brilliant, and so there's also this idea that a smart doctor could get away with things because you know of their position. So yeah,
4: yeah.
1: right. We,
3: we we need a we need a, a good modern horror movie with a doctor who's just dumb as shit, and see <laughs> see what we can do with that story. We need we need an America's absolute... Frontline
1: Doctor.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He just right. He just goes flat around killing people remake? accidentally, <laughs> right? Or flatliners, for that matter. He, that would be the horror film, it's just a doctor who doesn't know that he's really bad and is just like killing people like left and right accidentally, but he thinks he's like the hero. That's like the modern okay. retelling of it.
4: What if we remade Flatliners with America's frontline doctors and they died from COVID and gave each other ivermectin? <laughs> frontliners. I like it. Front yeah, frontliners. Front <laughs> let me let me
2: let me give you um horrornews.net their top 13 greatest horror doctors and you guys can tell me if you agree with this ranking um number 13 this kind of goes against the the brilliant doctor uh trope which is dr giggles it's hard to say about giggling 1992 movie
3: just because you don't agree with his methods doesn't mean he doesn't know what he's doing (laughs) that's true you guys his surgical precision in finding your spinal cord through your mouth with the scalpel (laughs) is second to none does that happen in the movie you got to watch it. I, I don't I, want I to I, spoil it. If you I haven't did. seen, go- it, it, to, the, to the listener, if you have not seen Dr. Giggles, stop what you're doing, go to your nearest Goodwill, <laughs> search through the bargain bin VHS copies and find a tape of Dr. Giggles. <laughs> Absolutely, I agree.
2: I do have a vague recollection of a scene in the beginning where the young son, Dr. Giggles, climbs out of a, a patient's belly that he had hidden in. It's a very disturbing and very visceral stays with me. Okay. Then number 12, Dr. Jack Griffin, the invisible man, 1933, this, he's that uh, he's like a scientist, I think. I don't think he's really a doctor, um, but basically he creates this drug
1: that makes him invisible. Makes hey, him go are crazy. you saying that PhD doctors aren't real doctors? No, so I'm,
2: I'm I know. I, I only want to pick on <laughs> medical doctors. That's all <laughs> we, we, just, we don't like them. That's the reason we're picking on
3: them. Um, so yeah, that's pretty scary, but I mean, I guess. Uh, then- every 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 single just just to talk on that, every single invisible man story, every single one of them has always devolved into, oh, he's a voyeur now. Right. I, I don't I don't think there's any invisible man story where there hasn't been some um some example of just inherent voyeurism in that condition with one notable exception and you uh, alluded to this earlier uh one film of john carpenter uh, a lesser known film uh starring one chevy chase 1992's memoirs of an invisible man yeah yeah
2: right one of his best one of John carpenter's best (laughs) it hurts you to say that doesn't
3: the the only john carpenter film that is not titled uh as john carpenter's right name of the movie because he took right. his he didn't it, he didn't feel like it was his but uh, uh n- not his strongest work and you I know think he would agree with that
2: i think that's a big part of it though i think a big part of it is that's no one would believe an invisible man wasn't a creep because if the word man and invisible are together in a sentence there's going to be some creepy shit there's like no yeah. way around that
3: yeah um, the other thing, and this is just a small nitpick on every invisible man's story, it, it's, it's cowardice of the storyteller to not address this, but they would all be blind. There is, yeah. there is no way for the light to be captured by the retina if it passes through, so they would all be blind. So they would need to somehow figure out a way to write it into the story, what the invisible man does when he can't see anything at all which is, uh, I'm putting that as a challenge to all yeah. you young story writers out there. What would a blind invisible man do? God, what a bummer. It'd be blind, they would not well, be a voyeur. Man. They would we'll not right be a past voyeur. The Im-
1: <laughs> we'll right past the impossibility of being invisible and let's focus on the retinas that's thinking. <laughs> Are no, you saying I mean,
4: you can't be a voyeur without sight?
3: Oh, well, I guess it'd be a more tactile voyeur, which could be even
4: scarier. <laughs> I think that's a freuderer at that point. <laughs> that's a freuderer. Or a scent. Yeah. Yeah,
2: he smells. What a creepy smelling people! He just around smelling people. Just
4: now there's a smells. horror movie I would watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. All right, I'm glad one. we brought up our uh, John Carpenter. Though, did anyone see he had like a recent interview where people asked him about what he thought about new horror genres? Yeah, like, I have not.
2: Yeah, what what did he say?
4: So I have the quote here, just because I was sending it to people I know, and so someone. Whoever was interviewing him, AV Club, said, are you familiar with the phrase elevated horror? He said, I don't know what that means. And they said, people usually use it to refer to A24 movies, horror that's heavy on the metaphorical. And he said, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) I like I like to interpret in my own way that elevated horror is a term used by people who don't like horror to describe a horror film that they liked.
3: <laughs> that that's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> what do you
2: think about A twenty four movies? So if if anyone out there doesn't know, A twenty four is a studio. Everything they, they make uh, lots of creepy, artsy horror films. Basically. Everything.
1: Well, no, it's not a it's not a horror movie, but everything, everywhere, all at once is in my top five movies of all time. It is one yeah, of the true. greatest movies ever made.
3: Yeah. It, it was a delight Straight Straight I, I i i've enjoyed many movies from may 24 uh i don't think there's anything that necessarily sets them apart from just a, a standard run-of-the-mill enjoyable movie but you know i'm i'm not gonna dig on them just because it's an a24 they they put up good movies that i don't really have any objections to
4: yeah, they make good movies. There's a comic that I like on social media, Evan Williams, who has like a running gag about A24 films and how it's all kind of like a Mad Libs, where it's not actually a horror movie, but you leave people set up in the end to think that there's some some big metaphor here. Um, but either way, watch <laughs> A24 films and Evan Williams. <laughs> I
2: I had a thought. I was watching Space Jam. Uh, the new one with LeBron James, and the premise of it is that basically he has access to all of the Warner Brothers uh, intellectual property. So all the characters from all Warner Brother movies from all time are kind of in this in this movie. And I'm like, this movie Space Jam would be so much more interesting if they did this with the A24 intellectual properties. <laughs> <laughs> different characters with A24. <laughs> in the space jam now that's a movie i would fucking love to watch like lebron james versus like every like weird creepy monster in the last you know 10 years of of horror film um okay let me go through some of these a little more quickly we have herbert west at 11 that's the guy from the reanimator i don't know if you guys ever watched that 1985
3: jeffrey Combs classic
2: god what a creepy looking guy that guy is i don't i love i love his work what he's done but he does something so well like he's kind of sleazy and slimy but you kind of like him at the same time he's a very very interesting guy
3: uh great in the frighteners if you haven't seen uh, that early peter jackson efforts he plays this just hideous fbi uh or i don't know some some sort of fbi equivalent and delightful character actor
2: he's he always struck me as sort of like the evil version of bruce campbell there's something about him that's like the (laughs) darker (laughs) but but Um, so what what is what does he do in the reanimator though what what sets him apart he's a medical student i think if i remember correctly or a resident i can't remember and he brings dead bodies back to life he reanimates them
3: so it's it's different i think from your your classic frankenstein uh story because those are you know uh those are uh composites of other body pieces but mm-hmm. he's bringing back specific individuals so long as they're you know fresh enough uh and,
2: and they come back evil i assume right i kind I'm of sure. forgot yeah, yeah. They're, they're all zombie like, of course yeah. it
3: wouldn't it would not be an interesting movie if they came back to normal and just went back to work <laughs> back to work oh, i'm late i'm late for the office
1: Sorry.
3: where have you been
2: <laughs> dead you were at my funeral um All right, number 10, I feel like I'm surprised it's not where it's supposed to be.
1: There is no way. There is no way that you put Hannibal Lecter at 10. Hannibal (laughs)
3: Lecter
2: at 10. I mean, he's got to be top three, right? Absolutely.
3: Did they give any, like, reasoning for the rankings? Or is this in alphabetical order? Or or (laughs) what's going on?
2: You know, I think that they did this in terms of, like... um, Body count and like uh, overall—that's uh, a ridiculous horror. metric. I, you know, what? I, I don't know. It doesn't—it doesn't make a ton of sense. I, I, if I you agree. go on by
3: Body Count, just put uh, Dr. Henry Kissinger on there. He's number one.
2: Was <laughs> <laughs> that guy still alive?
3: Um, all right.
2: Next is a movie I've never seen. At number nine, Dr. Anton Fiebs, the abominable Dr. Fiebs.
3: The abominable movie. Dr. Fiebs. Fiebs. Do you know this? Uh, it's a Vincent Price movie. And it is it is a a, I believe it's a Roger Corman film, but it is a classic movie. It is Vincent Price with his great uh, Vincent Price voice who does not move his mouth the entire film, but he still talks. And he he has he's getting revenge on all the people who wronged him. And the revenge is each one is more absurd than the last. It's a great classic campy film. anyone who watched the other corman uh vincent price movies like the pit and the pendulum and all that Mm -hmm. you would you would love it there and Uh. and to give you a teaser there is Mm -hmm. one person he crushes to death uh he crushes his head with a uh mechanical frog head and if that does not pique your interest nothing else okay all right you had
2: me a mechanical frog head I, i i have to explore that all right, number eight, this is a one I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about. And I know this is going to bum people out because people are going to want me to talk about it because I'm a gastroenterologist, but I'm just not going to. And that is Dr. Heider in the human centipede for sequence. And, and
1: I got to say, if you're putting Dr. Lecter like, <laughs> yeah. lesser ranked than the yeah. human centipede, Bullshit. You, you, you are not doing film critique well. <laughs>
2: But Dr. Lecter is such a rich character. There's like levels to him. He's so charming. And, and yeah. Anthony Hopkins was so perfect in that role. To to have it even close like this is, is a bit uh, disturbing to me. Even more disturbing than the fucking concept of human centipede, which I'm not <laughs> going to explain to our listeners.
3: Because if you don't know what it is, I don't want you to know what it is. It, it, is, it is a try-hard film <clears throat> that intentionally wants to disturb you as much as possible without really understanding why and how people actually get disturbed you you look at it and you say oh i don't like this and then you don't think about it anymore the stuff that truly disturbs you is the stuff that really gets to your fears that really gets to what matters to you that really speaks to some parts that's important to you yeah this film is just nonsense
4: yeah it's human centipede we're still talking about human centipede Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i think it's just gross out horror I mean, a doctor, it, it, a doctor could sew a bunch of people together, but
3: you you might as well gross people end? out by filming a toilet. It's, two girls, it, one it's cup. Unpleasant, definitely. but it, but what does
2: it do? It's shorter. Yeah, no, I would yeah, rather no. watch two girls, one cup. Um, <laughs> okay, this movie number six actually really disturbed me when I saw it when I was younger, and it's like the ultimate movie in body horror, in my opinion. Yeah, because it really. It plays on everyone's fear of getting old and falling apart. And it's the fly. So, actually, (laughs) I'm pretty sure he's a scientist, but Dr. Seth Brundle um, is is who they have listed at number six. Now, that movie fucked me up so badly. He becomes strong, virile. He becomes a man. I
1: still remember the arm-breaking scene. Oh, Oh, my God. How he vomited to eat. Oh, That movie is so disgusting. Really fucked me up. That movie is worth anything on this list. It's objectively a really.
5: Hold up! What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com
0: life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs united healthcare can help get you covered with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
1: It's a good horror movie because it has stuck with me for more than 30 years. Exactly. That- i don't want to watch it again i don't want to watch it again but it's a- <laughs>
3: but the way the reason that works is that you can identify with him and his goals even right. if he's a little fucked up you, you understand what he's going for and why it's important to him and you see him change throughout the movie and you, you see the effect he has on other characters right. that are also important to you as a as a, as a viewer that's what makes for exceptional horror movies is when the movie can actually get you to care about it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I really really feel for him
3: and and the family. Also, just because I, I I went into the technical nitpicking with the invisible man, but with the fly, he's got a whole gut full of microbiomes that are also different creatures. Yeah. What happened to them? What, 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 it should
1: be basically a
3: bacteria. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. There's a lot of problems with it. Um <laughs> and clearly very scientific <laughs> up to that point. But <laughs> that movie where he vomits on uh the guy's hand and burns it off. It is a great. Uh, if you if you ever, if
1: you want to try to explain why David Cronenberg films are so good but also gross, I think the fly is a great a great place. I mean, so so many of his films are like the fly, but the fly really nails the tone I, so well. I, really I nice. had a
3: I had a tweet a while back that I just said a new David Cronenberg body horror film, and it's just called hospital. And it's just a normal day at the hospital. And, (laughs) but like, not, not to get too, too gruesome about it, but like, yeah, the stuff in the fly is gross, but also the, the, the ravages that the human body can experience and undergo on a regular basis is it, it can be pretty disturbing.
2: Yeah. I mean, we have all in our medical training and probably Ryan more since then, because he works in the ER, have seen just gruesome injury and disease uh, ravage humans. And uh, it, it it's hard when you see that because it's real. There's no escaping that. There's no shutting it off. There's no, and you have to, to some degree, because you're a doctor and you have to like focus on giving that person the health care they need. And, um, but those are the days when, like, you, you know, you go home and you, like, make sure you you hug your family and tell everyone you love them. Uh, it reminds you of that. Oh, for sure. Uh, there's We see some absolutely horrific things, for sure. But then we get to help, Cody. And then we get to oh, help yeah. people. Okay, don't forget that part.
4: That's not even without talking about the things people put inside their own <laughs> urethras.
2: <laughs> What's the strangest thing you pulled out of a human body, Ryan?
4: Like a baby. <laughs> like a... Uh, a p- <laughs> Actually, I think I have you beat. I think I. Have I was beat. unable to pull it out. They had to have open open abdominal surgery eventually to get the p- out.
3: Whoa! I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest you're probably gonna have to cut this one because that that's pretty <laughs> It's pretty gnarly. Well, that's that's not that's not just gnarly. That's also fairly specific. I think if I were the if I were the p- guy i would recognize that
2: <laughs> should i just bleep it so every time I, he I, says I, it people, yeah just people never know exactly what it was yeah bleep out yeah, yeah okay. bleep that out
1: please that word i'm yeah. bleeping okay, okay um, well, you can also you can also bleep out because that is something that i was part of removing out of it i got uh, it. the whole thing the whole thing how <laughs> practice i'm assuming <laughs>
2: That is yeah, that's amazing. The x-ray amazing. was incredible.
1: But yes, you do have to bleep that out because yeah, that is very recognizable as well.
2: <laughs> I can't believe it. Oh my god. Anyways, uh let's let's go quickly through this. Dr. Frankenfurter from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, I'm sorry, I take a went back. Uh next is Dr. Caligari from the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Uh it's a really old film, 1920 old, like maybe the first. Horror film ever. I've never seen it. I've heard about it forever, but I've never seen it.
3: Nobody's seen it. That's just yeah. something they put on these lists yeah, to say, "Oh, I, I, oh. I, I know my history," but nobody's ever seen horror, it. Yeah.
1: Better than Doctor Lecter. Yeah,
3: yeah I, unbelievable.
2: <laughs> um, I never got into this next one, um, Doctor Frankenfurter from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I, 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 get that it was subversive and cool and different and like, um, but. I just it I'm, I don't like that much comedy and camp in my my
3: horror. To me, it doesn't even count as horror. It's like it, some it, other like it's entity. not a horror. Yeah, it, it, it's not a horror. It's, it shouldn't be on there. It should not it's be on this I'm a fan of it. I, I'm a fan, but it it's it should not be on this list. Yeah, I never got into it either.
2: Now the next two I actually three I, I actually do really like. Uh number three, Dr. Loomis from Halloween, who you yeah. know we talked about. Um that character is one of the few like uh psychiatrist doctors in these films that's uh really the good guy or at least kind of I mean he's they he's kind of an interesting doctor that I forget which one of you mentioned it but you know uh, a doctor that just comes out and says hey this kid is evil Is probably (laughs) not practicing good medicine (laughs) but like it it is he, he is a really fascinating character and he's around for a lot of the films um and to me he made he was one of the better parts of uh halloween you know because you have to have someone explaining you you have to have like the old guy explaining what's happening and the guy who did it i forget donald pleasance what was his is that Donald Pleasance? yeah an actual world war ii war hero by the way like he like this guy been through some stuff i think he was actually in a prison camp at one point um anyway so this having him there really i think gave it like this air of like I mean, this is a serious movie when you saw him in the movie and, and his delivery so i love that character i don't know how you guys feel about him i
3: i you know he, he is a good character for the film but i'm gonna maintain that he was not a very good doctor
2: he didn't most, help
3: most doctors don't shoot their patients it's true it's true well most. well R- ryan, ryan <laughs> shoot stories, them with what most
1: ryan's in florida we have to always you know shoot them with
2: what (laughs) paintball guns um okay then number two one of my favorites uh dr abraham van helsing so i mean i and of course we talked about this already i mean anthony hopkins did such an amazing job in that role i just really it, it can't be beat
3: one one standout part from the movie is uh, when the first uh, victim of Dracula in England, uh, Lucy, uh, mm-hmm. dies and Van Helsing tells them that, uh, oh, we have to go to her, to her grave, to, to her gravesite, site and uh, take her out of her coffin. And his, her, her fiance was like, what are, we, what are we going to do when we get there? And he says, oh, I'm gonna cut off her head and desecrate her body. Just <laughs> such a matter of fact right. way, it's, it's right. the perfect delivery. Yeah. Uh, from him another reason why it's a great movie great great fucking movie and then number one they
2: have dr frankenstein not the monster the doctor which i yeah. i actually i never watched a, a frankenstein movie um uh, i didn't even watch aaron eckhart's i frankenstein which if you can believe that um but i did read that book it's one of the few of these that and dracula i read and that book was fucking amazing it's Wasn't so it? good oh really good it's one of the few books that actually taught me a lesson. Like I learned something from it. Like at the, I know it's weird, right? At the end of the book, basically the basic premise is if you obsess over certain things too much, uh, you'll lose sight of what's, you know, dangerous, what's good, what's bad. And that's what happens to Dr. Frankenstein. And at the end of it, the the ship captain, who is a kind of a small character, he's like, oh yeah, we're turning around. We're, this expedition to go to the North Pole is bullshit. This is If we get obsessed with doing this, we're just going to all die like that guy did. And I really like walked away being like from that book, being like as a young kid, being like, all right, I, I, that makes sense. It, it connected with me on a way that like, I, I usually didn't get lessons from like
3: a separate piece or the other books we had to read at the time. That book taught me that quitting was okay and that you don't always have to follow your dreams right especially, especially if your dreams, dreams <laughs> is to create a monster
1: well for me for me of course when you when you grow up frankenstein is literally the monster and then you read the book and you have so much empathy for the monster that it, you know to me it's also just a great just a great read in empathy because I, the I poor monster you know really suffers
3: i wouldn't even say that necessarily frankenstein is the monster i think frankenstein is someone who makes a mistake realizes he's made a mistake and is trying to uh, undo his mistakes and ultimately fails and Mm -hmm. suffers quite a bit from it. And there is a lot of uh, collateral damage uh, from his decisions that he is bearing witness to that he, he is, he's seen his whole life unravel from the singular obsession and it's it's not like he realizes it at the end. He realizes this in the first third of the book, after mm-hmm. he creates it. He's like, "Oh my God, the monster's getting up! What have I done? I have to destroy it." And of course, yeah. like he, I I don't I don't think it's fair to call him a monster. I think it's. Oh yeah, it's, no. I was
1: talking when you're a kid, like literally. Oh yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You see Frankenstein's monster, and you think that's Frankenstein, but 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 we Hulk also that
3: yeah. but we also have to to you know, since all the others were movies, we got to talk about the movie version too, which. You're talking about the Robert De Niro, Kenneth Branagh. No, no, no. The, the universal, the, the. Oh, you're going old school. Okay. Yeah. The, the, uh, the original Frankenstein, Boris Karloff. uh, And like Frankenstein, he, he is also, you know, he has that same singular obsession and he creates life. But he also recognizes that, you know, he's created a monster and he has to destroy it. And uh, the, the, the takeaway from the, the movie, the main thing that they change kind of undermines the entire lessons, or not so much undermines the, the lessons from the book, but just changes the focus completely.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And the, the, the main difference there is the brain, the source of the brain. Where his assistant Fritz um, picks up the normal brain, accidentally drops it, and then substitutes it with the brain of the criminal.
4: Mm-hmm, you know,
3: mm-hmm. so it's now the lesson is: don't make a, a a monster, you know, composite person and use a criminal brain. If you use a normal brain, <laughs> it'll be okay. It'll be okay. It, it, <laughs> like, that that is a, that is a completely different premise from the book and it completely takes uh, takes it in a different direction but also is kind of you know it just kind of goes unsaid that this is this is phrenology you know <laughs> this this right, is a criminal right. brain it has the wrong lobes uh <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, of course I'd, this would happen all right
2: any any doctors that are not on this list that we would add i, I would put the guys the jeremy irons twin oh brothers yeah from dead,
3: ringers. dead ringers another cronenberg uh, Masterpiece, very creepy,
4: very very creepy. Any other uh, any other doctors you guys have put on? Were n't there doctors on um, Event Horizon? Um, there was one.
3: There was one. He wasn't a creepy doctor. Uh, he was a, a, he was a good Nail, guy, right? He, he was the He was the ship designer. He wasn't a medic. There was a medical doctor, but yeah. he gets gutted.
2: He gets filleted in like you never see him. Actually, you, they set him up to be like a character you think is going to be a little more important, and then yeah. he's just like off the off screen. Then that's it. That's you never hear from him again. So let's let's move on to the next topic then. Which, Tyler, I need you to to weigh in on this. I need you to to direct this for me. We see a lot of movies with I, for with psychos in the quote unquote psychos in them, like Psycho, for example. Psychopathy. Uh, mm-hmm. First of all, is psychopathy a word that you would actually ever use in in psychiatry? Well, it,
1: it, it's it's a technical diagnosis in forensic psychiatry. It's not part of the diagnostic criteria in regular psychiatry. Um, and it does have meaning there's the very famous there's a checklist called the hair uh, psycho uh, the hair checklist for psychopathy. But um, uh, uh, you know, the the problem is that the word psycho, unfortunately, um you know, for for us in psychiatry, um, carries a lot of connotations. For example, the f- most famous quote unquote psycho um is Norman Bates. And of course, Norman Bates likely had schizophrenia. I mean, he was hallucinating and had delusions yeah. about his mother um and uh and a lot of the time that's confused with psychopathy which is this kind of want to kill people you know like uh get get a thrill out of killing people or a disregard callous disregard for life or the arrogance in american psycho and those types of things so so you know american psycho is a very different psycho than psycho psycho with norman bates and so you know it's it's really challenging i got to say there's a few movies that use use um mental health or mental health illnesses as the trope. And they've become definitive to the point where it actually harms patients. Like I have yeah. no doubt that fatal attraction caused so much stigmatization of women, especially once the connection was made to sort of how Glenn Close's character kind of hews a little bit in a very absurd style to some of the criteria of borderline personality disorder. Um, you know, one Flew over the Kirkwood's nest and, and nurse ratchet probably mm-hmm. Injured ECT and psychiatric hospitals forever, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and then Norman Bates, you know, is a great example of how schizophrenia is is sort of made scary, uh, when of course it's most scary for the sufferer. Schizophrenia you know, people with psychosis are much more likely to be to be injured than to injure. So. Um, it is uh you know horror movies have a unfortunately have a, a famous trope where when, whenever you can't explain it, just make the person crazy or make the person have some kind of mental illness and 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 then that sort of unfortunately has real world consequences for people with mental illnesses. So I mean I
2: that makes sense. I mean I think we all came into this episode knowing that Hollywood's probably mangled the topic. Um, but are there any movies where you feel like did it, decent job of depicting mental illness. I think,
1: well, certainly. I mean, certainly, even in the, in psychopathy, like um, uh, there was an article I was sharing with you. You can actually find it. It's called Psychopaths in Film. Um, it's a 2014 article um, by, I'll just get the last name here, by Lestet, uh called um, Psychopathy and Cinema Fact or Fiction, where they actually they're film buffs and psych- psychiatrists, and they basically watched a whole bunch of psychopaths in movies and sort of described the various characters. And I, you know, No Country for Old Men, Javier Bardem's character is a great example of the classic psychopathy. But I think American Psycho is probably the one that's more of the archetypal sort of narcissist psychopath. Mm -hmm. where there's that, a lot of that has to do with the narcissism, but... um, (laughs) Cody, could
2: you just, for my enjoyment, could you... It just recite the whole scene where he kills Jared Leto. Did you, I wouldn't pay money to see you memorize that scene. Are we talking about like Peter Gabriel? I forget who Phil Collins is. Do
3: you like Huey Lewis? Uh, no, I, um, what, what I will say in, in uh, just kind of broadly describing uh, the, the role of horror uh Movies and horror fiction in culture is that a lot of times uh, horror stories tend to be stealthy progressive stories where they where they introduce progressive ideas uh, into a into a, a kind of a vehicle that would get you to really empathize uh, with people you may not normally empathize with. Um, American Psycho does not do that. The narcissist, but not with Christian Bale's character, but it does do that for the people around him. And yeah, you know, this is this is all of the dangers women have to face with men of this type who are allowed to thrive in this environment. Like that is a very, very like, you know, a heavy-handed satire uh through the trope of of, of a horror movie. Uh, but it it you know it it makes sense in that sense that uh, you know, American Psycho is directed by by a woman. Like that, she picked up on these on these themes and was able to express it. That said, despite horror being on the whole a more progressive genre than most, I think it does more often than not throw mental health uh, people mm-hmm. under the bus and has is, is not been very responsible with its depiction of mental health at all.
2: Why, Ryan, why is that character Harvey Arbardem Bardem plays in No Country for Old Men? Why? Which, by the way, I don't know if it's technically a horror film, but it scared the shit out of me because his character is terrifying in that movie. So I, I think it counts. Um, why, what about that
1: portrayal seems to be on the nose? Sorry, that's for me. Um, I, it's, it's, it's just a great, I mean, he's all about the technical sort of cold just execution he gets so frustrated when the thing doesn't when things don't go according to his plan like he is the professional and so as soon as things start deviating um and and just resists any emotion there's that great scene where he's being pleaded with and there's just nothing there (laughs) there is i mean he is that's the scariest part i mean the thing about his character is i mean there's someone in real suffering who's pleading for their life. And he just, I mean, that does nothing to him. Uh, so it is that classic psycho- psychopathy.
2: Netflix really has seemed to corner the market on like the serial killer documentaries. Are you, do you watch any of those? Do you, is it, is I it love, hard for you to do and not Well, think through the eyes of a psychiatrist?
1: It's hard not to, you know, it's, anytime, uh, anytime something hits your wheelbase, it, it does feel like work. So like if I see a, a, a movie that's a lot about, you know, someone in a, hos, a mental health hospital or a mental illness, I, I do end up being the psychiatrist a lot and thinking about it as a psychiatrist. I will say, um, technically, I love watching forensic psychologists, psychiatrists interview um, you know people who have done these heinous things because their interview techniques are so confrontational We all have this vision I you know you can all imagine a therapist and think of a therapist being like, oh thank you so much for honoring me with your story. I, I'm so precious to be here everything you do is just wonderful and and there's a there's a saccharine quality to therapy that a lot of therapists, they don't get that that comes off as disgusting. Like it's gross to hear about, but it, it's a it's actually a, a trope within therapy. Some therapists don't know how to get off that mode of constantly praising their their patients. But when you watch forensic psych- psychologists, they are so like they're confrontational. They know what they're doing. They have to study what they're doing. They're experts, obviously. But you know to tell someone like a John Wayne Gacy or something like that, actually, I think you're very weak, you know, right to their face. Yeah. You, you you can't, you can't understand. It's hard to understand, like that seems mean, but in fact, in psych- psychiatry and psychology, some of the best moves you ever do are interpretive, where you say what you're thinking and you see what someone's response to that is. It requires a bit of a relationship and you can't just do that cold. You can't just start judging people. But if like someone says to me, you know, something... And I reflect back to them. Um, it sounds to me like you're really disturbed by this. That's my interpretation of it. And when you see forensic psychologists interview, there's some great YouTube ones of John McGasey and things like that. The skill they use is really quite incredible. And you get to prov- you provoke emotions in people who are trying so hard to show that they're strong. And And actually, mm-hmm. a lot of these serial killers, a lot of the sort of they're, they're weak people. They can't resist their urges. They, they get caught. They're very frustrated about that. They're extremely upset that they were caught and they do get provoked into their anger. And mm-hmm. that is
3: something that I do enjoy watching. There is you... a turtle on the beach. It's on its back. You're not helping the turtle. Why aren't you helping the turtle?
2: <laughs> it's a nice blade runner. Um, you know, I, uh, it, it's funny because I, I've been listening to some of these stories, these like uh, true crime podcasts and, and watching some of these documentaries. And that does seem to be a recurrent theme that you bring up that one of the things that ends up really at the end helping the, the police and the detectives working on the case is that there is still some bit of like normal quote unquote normal human response. And it's for these people who seem so far removed and to, see, to seem like psychopaths. And it's almost like that thing of pride that's what helps catch them. Um, like, no, you're not, you wouldn't be capable of killing all these people. I know you only kill this one person. You just don't have it in you. You're not smart enough to be able to do that. And, you know, they'll they'll trick them into sort of revealing something because of that pride. That one thing that's left in them is that pride. And they get that out. Um, yeah, I have, a, I have a hard time with them. I, I I do watch them a bit too. I thought the, the Dahmer one was kind of an interesting one because they really like, they actually brought- John Wayne Gacy into it like it was kind of weird they they start the thing by making you f- show you how he was a monster and then they kind of the next couple episodes make you, you sympathize with him a little bit and then they bring back the the people that he murdered and then make you sympathize with them and realize okay he's a monster again and then at the end they just bring in John Wayne Gacy kind of just to be like, no, this is a real asshole. <laughs> like, that's like, that's kind of what they're trying to do. It made me feel uncomfortable. I did not like it. They're like, they're like, they introduced John Wayne Gacy just to be like, this guy had no remorse. Whereas this this other guy, Dahmer, is maybe more complicated, which I, mean, I don't know how the families of Dahmer would feel about that. It seems, it seems like it would be. I think, you know. we,
3: I think we do know how the family of Dahmer's, <laughs> right. Dahmer's victims about They've right. they right. not been silent about their yeah. displeasure with it.
4: Yeah, I am not a fan of how Ryan Murphy treats the horror genre.
2: I agree. American Horror Story, like, I don't enjoy them. It's it's always like they're trying to jump sharks in every episode and be like, they just like, they, you can tell they're having a blast doing it, but I don't, I do not enjoy it in general. What, tell me more about what you mean, Ryan.
4: I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how he got this reputation as being like a, a master of true crime, I I watched um, the OJ series, the one about the guy who killed uh, Gianni Versace. And I mean, it's all just very, uh, the diary of a a teenager about these serial killers who they like look up to. And I don't know. Right. It's sorted. He makes
2: them all kind of sexy in a weird way. It's, he glorifies it, violence in, in a weird way. I don't like
4: why are these bizarre serial killers being played by like Zac Efron and Evan (laughs) Peters and stuff? I mean, that's just, just weird to me. Yeah, I agree.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's overly sexy. All right. Uh, Okay. Let's, let's finish up here. Let me just ask you one last thing. Any recent horror films that you recommend people watch? I have one and it comes back to what we said earlier, but I want to hear your guys' first, see if if anyone picks what I picked.
3: I just watched Nope last week and uh, it has freaked me out. The, yeah, uh, you. the 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 audience scene was uh it, so it, I, I haven't seen it yet i, I know i'm just All saying right. the audience scene has messed me up and yeah. I, I i can't stop thinking about it which is to my mind like the best metric of how good a horror movie is yeah,
4: yeah what about about i really i really liked nope i just this past week watched resurrection which came out i think in the past year it was very good and very different um, and then also The Cursed, which was very good and was kind of like a werewolf, vampire, gypsy movie. Um, Is that, that the I one, that one that. with Christina Ricci? No, no, no one of note or that <laughs> I recognized, at least. Sorry to the cast of the movie. <laughs> no, um, I'm going to get letters. I'm going to get letters. You're all notable.
2: You're all, in my book.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> Are you thinking of the the Wes Craven movie, The Curse from that's, 2004? That's it. Yeah. 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 Sorry. There was one that
4: just came out within the past year that is about like colonial times and stealing land from a uh, Romani colony. Um, and I, I'll leave it at that.
2: All right. Okay. It's good to know. I'm, I'm putting that in my, my notebook. I got to watch both
1: those movies. And Tyler? Um, I gotta say, I just watched a smile. It's, it's in limited release. Um, if you've seen the trailer, you'll know instantly, um, when I say the word smile, I mean, it's super creepy. It's, it's literally about, you know, that one of the tropes is that people just can't stop smiling creepily. Um, but, uh, it does an awesome job of one aspect of horror movies. that really bothers me a all practical effects. The guy was, a you know, he hired the team that did alien. I mean, he was just totally into practical effects and that's, always better for horror. huge yeah um and then the second is that the characters around the main character act realistically based off of the scenario which is always that trope that bothers Mm -hmm. you the most about a horror movie like why would you hear the noise and then go in the room you Mm -hmm. know like why wouldn't you call the police like this like this person is having experiences that only they're having and people around them are like what do you want me to do with that you you need to get help like they're 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 truly they care but they're also there's nothing they can do and they're not experiencing it. So it's a great portrayal, I think, of of, um, sort of how scary it would be to have experiences that only you have. Um, And the better part is, the characters that do things like, oh, she's just crazy. um, They're made to look buffoonish, and they're made to look um, archaic and old. And I, I like that, because it does play on this idea that crazy as an explanation is not good you can't use that it's not okay to just use that Um, you know these this is uh, it's a good movie I really recommend it I liked it a lot oh fantastic you're you're crazy
4: for saying that Tyler
2: (laughs) we don't use that kind of language on the show Ryan (laughs) Um, okay for me it's not really a horror film it's not at least not a scary one but it calls back to those Universal Lon Chaney films, it's such a great movie. I really, really enjoy it. It's a Marvel movie called Werewolf by Night. And getting back to your question about like, or you know, Cody mentioned you haven't seen a good werewolf movie. This one's not scary, but it's so fun and well done. It's black and white for most for the most part. It's really clever, great dialogue, very fun little details in this. It's based on an old comic called Werewolf by Night, uh, the Marvel Universe, who's kind of one of the lesser characters who did stuff with Moon Knight, fought Moon Knight a lot. They were like, had this weird contentious relationship. Great character. They bring back Man-Thing, which is one of the scariest, creepiest, like Marvel cre- creations. And they do it so well. I really recommend it, especially if you do want to watch a good werewolf movie. This is one I highly recommend. It's, it's so smart and so much fun. It's just like the best kind of... Easygoing entertainment you can you can have. I, I highly recommend it. um I'll check it out. Please do. Let me know what you think. Um, okay, uh, let's get some plugs in. Uh, Cody, again, tell us where they can find you on Twitter and and name your show again so everyone can find it.
3: You can find me. I'm uh, uh, at kalimovirus Virus. Uh, that is a, a, a abbreviation of cauliflower mosaic virus. Uh, right to go back to my plant biology days and uh, my. Uh, podcast is caduceus Wild, uh, which you can find it at, at caduceus wild pod uh, and uh, i hope i hope we will have a new episode out uh if i can uh, get my shit together and actually edit it uh fairly soon
2: i can't wait i can't wait it is a really good show i, I do recommend it Brian, where can people find you
4: i'm mostly just on twitter at ryan marino yeah and and you do Making such good work there a rocket jokes Japan, about it man feet and rims and and other stuff yeah lots of lots of rim jokes nice tyler what about yourself
1: uh twitter tyler black 32 for the greatest basketball player ever and mm-hmm. um uh is he? uh <laughs> um I, I will say uh you know for for a lot of healthcare, i know there's a lot of healthcare people that listen to your pod and i'd say you know one of the things i'm starting to plug and and i am really interested in doing is is um, suicide risk assessment and response training. Um, so, if people ever want to reach out, I do some really good lectures on that. I do um, a really good common sense approach to suicide risk assessment, and obviously, I'd be I'd be happy to work with any healthcare system because reducing suicides a, a big goal of I think the next the uh, decade for mental health. Yeah,
2: well, that's amazing, man. Thank you for for doing that and offering that. Um, Thank you to Nadim for help with production. Thank you again to Lucky Dog Hot Sauce. Check them out. And uh, thank you guys for being here. Uh, you, know, you guys are fantastic. Love you guys. you, Love you.
4: I'm hotter uh, than a dog for hot dog hot sauce. That's not bad. Lucky dog. Hey, lucky
1: dog. Lucky, lucky dog. dog.
4: You can have that one for free. <laughs> I'm hotter than a dog for Lucky Dog Hot Sauce. Nice. <laughs> that's good.